Hello, curiosity seekers and adventurous thinkers. Welcome to Applied Curiosity Lab Radio, the podcast for the relentlessly curious. This season, our host and Applied Curiosity Lab's chief curiosity seeker, Becky Saltzman, will be sharing the studio with ACL's chief experience producer and favorite sister, Jennifer Felberg. The lens is, and always will be, curiosity. Each week, fun informal conversations center around one delectable curiosity bite designed to give your brain the time and ideas to think about thinking, to flex your curiosity muscle, and maybe even revolutionize the way you think. My New Year's resolution 2019 was to get better at meditation. I opened my mind and brain to that. I started trying to do it, but I knew that I needed to do something drastic. So I had signed up for that silent meditation retreat about which everyone said it's oxymoronic for Becky Saltzman to be (laughs) at a silent meditation retreat. Mm -hmm. But the other thing that was crazy was that it? they suggested, strongly suggested that number one, you read spiritual books. Number two, that you kept a journal. And the only, yes. Did you, did you do it? I tried. Uh, I kept a little journaly poo. Do you have access to it? Well, I think I probably do. I have. Oh my God. You need to read some of it. Oh yeah, it's right here. It's right here in my word docs. I can't even imagine the thoughts that were going through your head. Well, you don't want to. (laughs) Want me to read a little excerpt? We learned that we're not supposed to make eye contact with other people here. It's hard to get used to. It's almost like having the responsibility to make other people happy removed. I don't mind it. Is this equally advantageous for introverts, but for a different reason? After the orientation, we could do whatever. The grounds are beautiful and the sun was about to set. So I hiked around. I found a hobbit hut. That's a meditation room. No one was there. So I put my shoes outside, hoping that would mean I would have a little place to myself. And I went inside to try to do a bit of yoga and meditate. As I was trying to meditate and not fall asleep, I felt something crawling on my hand. I tried to ignore it and keep meditating, but it was the first day and I was not experienced. I opened my eyes to find that the sensation wasn't only in my head. It was a large, unattractive insect, a cross between an earwig and a cockroach. I admit that I broke silence with a choice word and I flicked it off. So (laughs) technically, I broke silence with fuck on the first day. No surprise here. If I was truly journaling my deep thoughts, I would admit that a couple of times I felt that I was effectively meditating. One time I almost felt like I was dissolving. I got so excited. Yay, look at me, I'm meditating. (laughs) That even in silence, I ruined the moment. Another time I felt like a brain orgasm. Again, the recognition of meditation possibly working, negating the possibility. That is exactly how I feel when I try to meditate. Really? Yes. So describe it. What do you mean? It's like I lay down, I try to listen to my breath and try to be in the present and my brain starts to think about something else or, or I'll think, hey, I'm in the present. Yay, me. Wait a minute. Oh, shoot. Now I'm not in the present because I'm thinking about that. So it's exactly what you were writing in your in your journal. I do wonder if journaling is a little bit antithetical to being in the moment. Because yeah. if you have to record everything you're actually doing, you can't journal at in the moment. You can't be in the moment. All right. It's too late. Oh, it's, oh, it's this moment. No, no, no. It's this moment. That's exactly right. I ask you, not so, instead of so, oh, twat cut. <laughs> I ask you the curiosity <laughs> bite. 
What's the downside of being totally present? Okay, before I answer that question, I have to take a little sidestep to officially thank you for attending my surgery and being my health advocate. With your curious questions and things like that, it really helps to have the doctors know that there's somebody looking out for me. And I really want to thank you for watching while I had my nose job. All right. I've That's got- why I sound like so... <laughs> <laughs> That's why you sound Sound like Snuffleupagus. Yeah, you sound totally congested, which is fun because I'm going to do the entire (laughs) podcast like this. But that's what you sound like. And I think you should admit that the nose job was because you want to look even more beautiful. Oh, yeah. I wish that was the case. If I were to do anything to make myself look more beautiful, the nose would probably be down the list of probably 10 or 11. This was because my nose collapsed. And uh, I just I really appreciate that you were there through the whole thing. Through the collapse of your nose and beyond. And I just want you to know I'm not sick. (laughs) So you can kiss me on the mouth if you want to. Yeah, but I think that there might be some (laughs) drippage. Definitely drippage. Your nose looks good, though. I mean, it's looking good. It's it's definitely post-surgery. I mean, it's only been a week, right? It's so slow. It's only been a week, right? Yeah, we... Well, yeah, it hasn't even because it took a long time to get in and get the surgery. So it was a week ago today that I went in. Oh, fantastic. All right. Well, get back to the thing. Get oh, back to the thing. So wait, what was it? The curiosity <laughs> you're bite. asking again? When you answer the curiosity bite, I'm going to ask you the curiosity bite again. Are you ready? Okay. What's, <laughs> what's the downside of being totally present? You know what? I don't appreciate that. The downside to being totally present is the annoying pressure to try to always be present. Like I was saying when I meditate, it's like, think about being present. Think about, it's like, I can't. And it's frustrating because I'm always thinking about something else. And what's wrong with that? Do you think that mindfulness and presentism is the same thing? Well, I think that we use mindfulness because I don't think we can be present. The minute we're present, it's already the past. Then is the goal of mindfulness to take well, let me take a step back. Let's say that I'm thinking about what I'm going to make for dinner tonight, which... What are you making for dinner tonight? I don't know, but there was this new Afghani restaurant that my friend took me to, and I'm fantasizing about their lentil soup. Ooh, let's go. So I don't think it's going to be about what I'm making for dinner, but what, what I'm, I'm ordering. taking for dinner, <laughs> what I'm ordering for dinner. So I'm thinking about that as in terms of tonight. And then I'm thinking about our vacation or our Curiosity Quest retreat that we're going to do next year, a whole 10 months away versus 10 hours away. Right. Is thinking about dinner, therefore, better than thinking about the trip because it's closer to the present and mindfulness is about getting closer to the present? If you're thinking about something ahead of time, then you're not right here with us right now. When I used to teach my employees, I used to teach them how to be a good teammate, different listening techniques and things like that. We had different listening blocks. Mm. And one of the listening blocks was... When somebody else is talking, you are thinking about other things and you're planning other things. And Give me an example of a listening block. When you're planning other things, are you talking about when someone else is talking, you're planning what you're going to say next? Is that yeah. the listening block or is that just that one, is of one of That is one of, I think there's like 10 different ones, but that is one. One is like identifying. So when they're talking, you're thinking about how it's affecting you. When they're talking, you're thinking about how you're going to respond All of those things make it so that you are not listening fully and you're not fully present if if you can be fully present. So when you're talking about having, I mean, twatka, (laughs) 
Twatka <laughs> is not yours. That's I know, mine. but I said so. So, I mean, Twatka. <laughs> <laughs> when you're thinking about dinner, you're that's a listening block. All right. But I guess my question is, and I want to get back to a few of these listening blocks, because I think I know my strong listening block. When you're thinking about the goal of being mindful, if I go with your claim that there is no way to be in the present because the each moment now is now is now, then the whole idea and the goal of mindfulness is to get your brain closer to the present. Mm-hmm. And that is, if that's optimal, at least for a meditative state, how close to the present must you be to be considered mindful? In other words, am I more mindful when I'm thinking about dinner this tonight than when I'm thinking about a curiosity quest next year? Am I more mindful? If How close do I have to bring it to present? Right now. Right now. Right now. <laughs> the only way that I can be considered mindful is if I'm thinking about being in the studio right now, recording this podcast right now. But if I think about something 15 minutes from now, that's not as good because it's not as present. It's not as close to the present. We were walking down the street last week and you were saying that you when you're walking, a lot of times you miss things around you and that you're trying to be more present of your surroundings. Well, I would be I think I'm visually uh, present because I'm looking around thinking, oh, is that new building going in and what's going in there? But I don't think I'm listening to the birds. And sometimes I'm walking to the grocery store and I'm like, oh, I've got to remember to get eggs. And I can walk a whole block just like driving and I'm not mindful. Right. But going back to the downside of being totally present, you suggested that it's the pressure of we kind of know that that's the good thing. That's the that's the optimal. And then that pressure is kind of the downside. So that's yeah. not the downside of being present. It's the downside of trying to be present. Yeah. It's failure. <laughs> failure. All right. Give me, let me, I want to get back to one of the listening blocks before we move on from that, because I want to know if what I do is technically a listening block. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> you were already thinking of that answer. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So what is it? That when you think I'm you do? hearing someone tell a story, And I'm listening intently. And somewhere along the story, I get confused. Either I'm thinking I don't really get it or there's something that doesn't make sense to me. And that could be I'm not even suggesting that the person is telling something that is a lie or doesn't track or is inconsistent with what they said before. I usually think I just don't get it. And I'll stop them to ask the question of clarification, because if I don't, then everything else they're saying doesn't I can't process it. If I'm confused about you're telling me a story and you had told me yesterday something and then something within this story contradicts what you told me yesterday, I will need to get clarification on that contradiction versus just listening to you. So for me, I feel like it prepares me to get the rest of the story. And that was a, that's been a problem my whole life. Even as a kid, teacher would be saying something and I wouldn't get it. And I would raise my hand and I would think, am I the dumbest one in the classroom? And this was all the way through grad school. I did not If I couldn't understand something, I had to get clarification before I could understand. It was like I couldn't, if I didn't have the foundation, then everything that it sat upon was crumbly to me. I think the problem lies when you stop listening. The minute that dissonance enters your brain, Mm -hmm. if you stop listening, because if you maybe if you gave it a chance, I know for me, I work out my thoughts verbally. When I am verbally working something out with you and you have some dissonance, you will a lot of times stop me because something didn't make sense or you'll ask me a question and I'm not able to always work it out and then make have it make sense. So in that 
case, it would be a listening block. But in other cases, it's just called a conversation. Or a clarification. If someone's, let's say someone's lying to you and you don't know it, but the first hint that they're lying to you in this story happens 30 seconds in and it it just doesn't make sense. All right. For example, we were talking about something that Donald Trump did and it was after 9-11 and Donald Trump said, I saw a video of him. I don't think it was a deep fake, but he said that he was there and he even helped pick up some of the debris. A little bit, he said. A little bit. (laughs) There was a cup on the ground that he dropped and he picked it up. And and that would be that would be a legit I helped. That would be Sounds like my son. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I I helped you because you put a cup your own cup in the dishwasher. I cleaned out the refrigerator. (laughs) Yeah, because you ate the cheese. Right. Exactly. And then Stephen said, well did you hear what else Donald Trump did? Right after 9-11, he tweeted, now I have the tallest building. And I was like, wait, he tweeted? Was tweet. Twitter wasn't even tweet. Was tweet. tweet. Twitter wasn't even invented. But then Stephen went on to say it's the sentiment. I'm sure that he did say, oh, now I have the tallest building. But the problem with suggesting that it was Twitter is that I was stuck with that dissonance. Yeah. So I needed to say to Stephen, wait a minute, 2001, there was Twitter. And then Stephen said, then Stephen got mad at me because he was just trying to make a point of what Donald Trump did, which I had no doubt that he said something as stupid as, oh, great, now I have the tallest building in Manhattan. I have no doubt that he communicated that. But I do have a doubt that he communicated that five to 10 years before Twitter was invented. I needed to get that clarification. Was that a listening block? That's a good question. I think it all has to do with timing. If you stop listening to Stephen because he accidentally said Twitter when you probably knew he didn't mean Twitter, maybe you did. But a lot of times when I'm listening to someone and I know they would screw up and say Twitter and they, I knew they didn't mean it, I would just let it go. But I don't think you let it go. Well, if someone is telling me something that they read in the New York Times or they saw that Donald Trump did something on Twitter, I'm assuming that if I have to assume that those little details are just throwaway things that people, then I question everything that you're telling me. Yeah. I mean, if you're telling me something and I have to sort out what's a lie and what's a mistake, then how do I know what follows is a lie or a mistake? Well, this is the whole point of why it's annoying to try to be in the present. All right. That's what I, (laughs) this is my point, exactly. It's like, you're having a conversation, you're thinking about something else because they triggered it, and then you're bad because you're not living in the present. Right, exactly. So living in the present may make you more susceptible to being fooled, Yeah. being bamboozled because you're living in the present. You're taking everything that people say at face value the moment they're saying it. You get into an elevator and some strange person is saying words to you, but you have this vibe that they are going to get off the elevator and try to pull the hatchet out of their back pocket and hatchet you. But you're not supposed to think about that. You just need to think about what they're saying in the present. I hope somebody doesn't hatchet me. I hope so too. Do you have a list for us today? do indeed. And it's Examples of difficulties of being in the present. Mm. And the first one is nostalgia. Oh, that's one of my favorite. I think that there is a huge downside to nostalgia. Go on. Well, when you're living in the present, you're taking in all the boring stuff, all the stupid stuff, everything that's happening that is 
the present. But when you are looking at nostalgia, it's enhanced by our own editing machine. When you have nostalgia and you're looking at the past, you can edit it. You can take out those boring things. You can take out some of those stupid things and only remember the juicy stuff. So it's better. And it's, I think, the present cannot, the problem with one of the problems with the present is it's not enhanced right. by our remembering and editing. Well, I also think presentism is different than mindfulness, even though people conflate the two. One of the problems with history and historians is presentism. We cannot unlearn the things we know in the present. So when we're looking back on history, we can't unlearn how it how we feel in the present. Even some of the things like, think about the French Revolution. And you heard about people crossing Paris, let's say, during the French Revolution. Mon Dieu! And you think, oh, I've walked around Paris. It didn't take me that long. But it's hard to even remember. Were there roads? What how, kind of shoes did they have? What kind of then? shoes did they have? All of the things that make you think that something was super easy. Mm-hmm. I mean, you read about these histories where people walk for hundreds of miles and you think, well, I could do that. I, I can do 16 miles in a day on a hike and with my Nike such and such, and such <laughs> shoes and my knowledge of my with my GPS. It's really hard to remove presentism. Even if you try to put yourself in somebody else's shoes, I still I agree. I don't think you can completely take out everything you know to put yourself into those historical places. Yeah, because you would have to think about every single thing you know, every single you would have to unlearn everything and put yourself in that moment in time. What they would know from a medicine standpoint, roads, technology, ideas, all of these things. Presentism, actually one of the downsides, I guess, and it's somewhat related to nostalgia, but if you tell history with presentism in mind, yeah. you're going to be misrepresenting history. And Which is probably more common than not. We look at these stories and narratives of, in history. Why did, what, what caused World War I to start? What caused the French Revolution? Why did my boss, why was my boss angry with me yesterday? Mm-hmm. And you have to take what we know now and then kind of retell the story. So that's one of the problems with nostalgia is that we talk about needing to have perspective, but once we have the perspective we have, once we know what we know, it's, I don't know if it's possible to unlearn that. Unless you're Doc Brown and Marty McFly going back in time. Is that the song for Back of the Future? Back uh, to the Future? Back to the Future. It's Huey Lewis and the News. Oh, my God. Huey Lewis and the News, the warm-up band for the first concert I ever went to, the Doobie Brothers. Awesome. They got booed off the stage. Huey Lewis and the News. They were were punk rock at the time. Really? Yeah, and they were pathetic. (laughs) All right, what's the next one? Next one is about social anxiety. When you are living in the present, it's it's very unknown. Everything's happening right then and there, and there are a lot of decisions to make that are immediate and can affect you immediately, especially if somebody has social anxiety, that could cause a lot of problems. Looking into the future and the past could allow time to make those decisions, time to rethink about what those decisions were, and it causes less stress. What do you think about that? It's interesting to think about anxiety and depression because sometimes I think that anxiety, to simplify things, is more about the future, while depression might be more about the present and the past. Why did I do that? Someone hates me. Everyone hates me. That's about 
again, it's a simplification for sure. But if I had to think about anxiety, I think it's more about, oh my God, what's going to happen if I go there? What's going to happen? And so- And depression is more about the past. I do. I think so. I don't suffer from either of these things. But for when I talk to people who do, I think that if I was trying to, again, put it into more of a simple way of understanding it, how do you feel about that? I- See your point. I mean, obviously, it's simplification. Although a lot of times, because I do have depression, although I'm on medication, so I don't have to deal with You're it. You're on medication. <laughs> I'm on medication. I'm on medication. So I, don't have to deal with I it. know it's terrible, and and it gets worse as I'm as we're going along. To me, it's all encompassing. It feels like present and past not yeah you're right not necessarily the future depression because you don't have anxiety no but when i talk to people who have anxiety it is usually about the future on my list anxiety is the present you have to have so many choices that are happening right now that is causing that anxiety of course then that moment is gone and then you're looking into the future so it i just don't think you can ever be present i don't think you can be present but i still wonder if mindfulness how close to the present do you need to be to be considered mindful it's bringing the future and the past as close as possible but i don't think you ever get to that middle when you are meditating because i know you've tried it a couple (laughs) of times i know it's funny but when you're meditating and you're thinking about the breath how do you think about it when i take an inhale i imagine air going through my nose and up swirling through my head and then down through my fingers. I picture it going through every part of my body. How do you think of it? Not like that at all. Really? That seems more yoga-ish to me. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. But you, you're you probably more experienced in yoga than in meditation. I don't know. I think you're more experienced in both because I can't meditate. I don't know what it means to exactly meditate. But there have been times where I feel like, oh, that was it. Like I had a little glimmer and, uh, you know, and you're not supposed to be thinking about getting better at it, which I don't understand how that can even be the case. But when I think about meditation, I think about trying and thinking about my breath, if I'm doing that, I'm trying to see if I can identify the, the moment, that very second when my breath begins. So if I'm inhaling, it's that very nanosecond where the inhalation begins. Oh, that's cool. And then I follow it all the way. But I'm not following it through my body and my arms or anything like that. Not So what do you where where do I'm you just, see it once it once it initiates? It's just a it's just I try to and I think, oh, did I was I late or was I early? And I try to get it as close to the in, beginning of the inhalation as possible. And then I count how many times and I will say it's very few there are very few breaths that I can focus on before my mind drifts. Did I get to three, maybe four? but never like 10 where my mind and then sometimes I also, you know, when you close your eyes and you have like those floater worms and stuff in your eyes. Yeah. Sometimes I can get to a point where I'm seeing those as part of my breath. And the, the closest thing I can describe to being present or being mindful are those posters that you stare at and you know how those posters are, and you stare at them with and well, you, like hang in there, kitty. Or? No, 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 no. You would stare at Peter them. Frampton. No, you stare at them and they look like a bunch of colors. And then pretty soon like a dinosaur oh. and it becomes like a 3D thing. Yeah. I don't know what those are called. Me neither. Oh, my God. Back when I was in real estate, I was on a inspection for an apartment complex and each unit had been notified that we were going to go through with the inspector. So all of the tenants were supposed to be out and we could, you know, or they could be there and let us in. And one of the units, and I was just there, just w- walking around with the inspector, making sure everything was fine, but somewhat superfluous. And I was there and I saw one of those posters on the wall in the bedroom where the inspector was doing. And there was just this bed, which a bunch of 
sheets and blankets. So I lean over and I'm staring at it, <laughs> trying to get the dinosaur or whatever it was to pop out of the poster. And I'm leaning over and I'm leaning over. And pretty soon, all of a sudden, a naked ass just oh! the lump of the bed. There was someone in there. But I was so far leaned over that the ass was like like, a, like maybe a foot from my face. And I screamed and he screamed. I have never heard that story before. Yes, but right before. Exactly. But. But. Exactly. Right before that scream occurred, right before the ass kind of. Ah! At that exact second for the first time. The, whatever the figure was, I think it was a dinosaur, popped out. And I, for the first time ever, that's when I first was able to get my eyes to focus <laughs> to see that optical illusion. And for a long time, I thought that must be what meditation feels like, is just that aha moment of seeing something or experiencing something that people talk about. But of course, mine was disrupted by a scream and a bear that's ass in so my face. That's so funny. I have been hypnotized. Have you ever been hypnotized? No. I went to, what was it, like three or four sessions of a hypnotist. Like purposefully? Yeah. And yeah. did it work for you? My therapist at the time suggested it, not to mention that it was her husband, but still. <laughs> <laughs> you will go to my husband yes. and pay astronomical <laughs> fees to be hypno hypnotized. Hypnotized. What, did it work on you? Um, it's very similar, I think, to meditation. That's why I wonder how much it was. It, it was about focusing on your breath and then focusing on things coming through your body and then taking you on a journey. And it's really just about trying to manipulate your brain to focus on what you want them to focus on. I, I don't know. Uh, I mean, people who are susceptible to hip, I mean, they're, they've are done amazing physical things that they could otherwise not do. So well, I'll tell you, I can't do anything physical that I was not able to do before. So the hypnotism d didn't do anything it didn't, for you? No. It didn't work for you? No. Were you open to it or were you skeptical? I was open. You were totally open and not so skeptical? I mean, I'm sure there was, I'm, I'm naturally skeptical, but I was trying to be open. I'd be curious if any listeners have been hip, hypnotized, hypnotized to write in what was the most interesting thing about it? What did they learn about themselves? Were they able to do anything? Because I don't, I don't, I mean, I've even tried acupuncture. When Dane was going in for acupuncture for some of his symptoms, I went with him and this really highly recommended acupuncturist. She was awesome. So nice. And she said, I'm going to give you a little freebie. And she was going to put some things, I love a freebie. Some things in my head. And she says, we call this popping the cork or popping the champagne. It gives you just this huge rush of creativity and excitement. And I was like, oh, I'm down for that. That is awesome. Because I had a lot of writing to do and I needed to get some creative my creativity on. So she put all those things and I was really trying to embrace the placebo effect, which I think is a very powerful and should not be written off. Right. And or if it works, it works. I was like, I'm in. I'm all in. And I sat there and nothing like absolutely unequivocally in every little. Oh, could that be? No, nothing. And then she came back. And the only thing that I even equivocated on was whether I was going to disappoint her. Should I? Yeah. Should I wanted to something so yeah. It wasn't like I was trying to be like the skeptic saying, no, it didn't even work. I mean, I wa she was so nice. I wanted to reward her with, wow, this kind of stuff never happens and never works on me. But this time it did. And it didn't. And I just <laughs> had to be honest <laughs> with her. And she was so disappointed. And so I just left feeling so bad that I hurt her feelings yeah, about it. There is that. Yeah. One of the other things that make it difficult for living in the present is your just your physiology. When you're feeling queasy or tired, your brain 
doesn't want to listen to you you trying to manipulate it to live in the present. It's going to go and try to figure out why you're queasy or why you're tired. That makes it a lot more. Your, your body, your brain has a mind of its own. <laughs> your mind has a mind of its own. My mind has a mind of its own? It does. I, you know, the mind is the final frontier. Dun, dun, dun. Well, I think that... <laughs> when I meditated the other day, I had my physiology get in the way and I tried to use that physiology as a way to test my mindfulness. Now, I tend to put everything through the lens of curiosity. So I was was meditating and had this itch on my nose. And I knew that from my silent meditation retreat learning that we're not supposed to scratch. You're supposed to just try to let everything go. So I was very focused on, does this really itch? What is the anatomy of the itch? On a molecular level, where is this innervating? Can I make the itch move from my nose to the tip of my head? And I was thinking, is concentrating on this itch any less mindful than concentrating on my breath it's happening now and i just let the physiology i focused on the physiology you know like a, like you said rumbling stomach in this yeah. case it was an itchy nose and i tried to think of the itch like molecularly and let the molecules of the itch dissolve but the biggest thing was i wanted to make sure that i could control my thought and if i had to scratch the itch before my guided meditation was over then I knew that I have no control over myself. And I thought, if I cannot control not scratching this itch, then forget it. Then it's all for naught. Like and? I, and I waited and I focused on it. And a couple times, I literally a couple times, I felt my hand start to go up and I pulled it back down. So there was a real physiological reaction that I had to hold back and I did it. I did it through the whole meditation. Oh. I Did it go away completely? And then I was done. How does it feel now? I, yeah, exactly. Two days later. And then I was done, but I was so close so many times to reaching up and scratching that itch. My question is, are you able to prevent yourself? Well, let me take a step back. Do you think you control your thoughts? I think some people are better at it than others, but I don't think you can. Are you are the people who are better at it just trained? Yeah. Okay, so that's what mindfulness mindfulness training might do. Right. I don't know if that's the same as being in the present. I think we could agree that the downside to being in the present is that it's impossible. Yeah. And because it's impossible, it's frustrating when people can't achieve it. But mindfulness is not impossible, and that's getting as close to the present as you can. Mm -hmm. So it is much better for me to think about what I'm going to make for dinner than for me to think about our trip next year. No, that's not really right. Well, with no. your definition, it is. But yeah. yeah. You can't. That's a general definition. I think that to be able to call on mindfulness, so to say that right now, rather than letting my thoughts control me, I'm going to pull my thoughts as close to the present as possible. And being able to do that, just like being able to avoid scratching that itch, it just makes you feel like you have that much more control. I don't think I can control my thoughts because if I could control my thoughts, I could stop myself from having a single thought. Mm. And could you stop yourself from having a single thought? When you are on the different stages of meditation, the highest level of meditation is being able to not have a thought. But I would think that if you were hooked up to whatever electrodes that could track whether you're having a thought, I can't even fantasize about the ability to stop having a thought. Me and, if, and if I can control my thoughts, then that's I could you stop myself from having a thought. That's because you're a no guru. I'm no, I'm a no guru. Yeah. My last point on my list is present is just simply guaranteed. Can you understand me or am I just so clogged up that you can't understand? I can understand. I'm okay. just, it's very funny. 
<laughs> I mean, so weird. I just would like to explain for listeners that <laughs> she's going to out me now. I'm going to out you. And I took a picture of Jennifer that I was going to put on the show notes of <laughs> this episode, which me, she has two white plugs plugging her nostrils. Because otherwise I'd be sniffing the whole time. I'd be sniffing the whole time. <laughs> time. No, I understand you. Go uh, ahead. Okay. The presence, you said the pre- pre- present is taken. We take we it, take for, it gran- for granted. And because it's given to us, our mind perceives this as something not worth dwelling on. So it's not worth thinking about the present because it's just simply guaranteed that it's happening. I also think that, so nostalgia was about the past and then you've got the body and the taking it for granted and the anxiety about the future. No, anxiety about the present. Yeah, but I don't think that's right. So I would- Well, you are not, this is not your list. You've got (laughs) nostalgia. Yes, it is. Give it to me. Taking it. It is good sometimes to realize that what is happening in the present, you have to minimize the importance of what's happening in the present because it feels like you've done something stupid or you failed. And then you look out and say, okay, is this going to matter to me in 20 years? And you think, well, because this is not going to matter in 20 years, I don't need to dwell on how embarrassing this is. Like I walked into the pizza restaurant with my dress, the back of my dress tucked into the back of my hose and showed my ass to everyone at the pizza restaurant and was mortified picking up pizza for my kids. How embarrassing can this be right now is unbelievably, especially since I thought that everyone was looking at me like like I'm hot. (laughs) And this is not me. We know who this was. Yes. Mom. (laughs) I think she had little toilet paper sticking out. No, no, she did not have. That was me. That was me in Buca de Beppo. I'm walking through Buca de Beppo and I'm thinking, God, I must look good. Everyone's looking at me. And Meryl was behind me. I was going to the bathroom. I was going to the bathroom. So why did I have toilet paper sticking (laughs) And Meryl, and then Meryl said, um, Becky, you have, and it was just the recalibration of my expectations because I knew that the reason everyone was looking at me was because I look good. And then it just kind of recalibrated my expectations to the reality, the reality, not it didn't recalibrate my expectations. It recalibrated my reality. And then I had to live in the present. So then I had to say in 10 years from now, I will tell this story on the podcast and it will be funny. Yeah. And that's how I was able to get through that moment. Because if I had to live in the presence with that, I would just be crawling under the table and calling it a day. You know, I know we have to wrap up, but that brings up something that I help with my kids. When they are depressed or when they're having a really rough time, the best thing that I think you can say is it's going to get better. Look to the future because the present right now, it sucks. If you could just get through it and look toward the future, that's another downside to living in the present is that it can be difficult sometimes. And to help them right. get through it is to say, look, look in the future, you'll get through this. All right, before I get to the sort of facts, I have two quotes that I want to ask you and you have to tell me which is your favorite. Okay. One is Einstein. Love him. And one is Buddha. Oh, love him too. What do you love about Einstein and what do you love about Buddha? I love Einstein's hair. Yep. His big, bushy white hair. And Buddha's belly. And his ears. His earlobes. Yeah. Because they remind you of dad. No, no. I love well, so does the belly. <laughs> yeah, actually, Buddha is. Yeah, it, it's kind of dad without the state, without without the mindfulness. <laughs> All right, here it is. Number one, this, and you can guess which one is which, and then you can pick your favorite one. Okay. The secret of hell for both mind and body is not to mourn for the past, nor to worry about the future, but to live in the present moment wisely and earnestly. Okay. And the second one, I never think of the future. It comes soon enough. <laughs> That's easy. The short one is Einstein. And, and the, the long, long one, one is Buddha. 
And Am which I one right? do you like better? The short one. <laughs> you like Einstein's better? Get to the point! Get to the point. Sword effect. All right, bring it on. Initially, the sword effect, I believe, came from PU, prestigious university. But looking deeper at this, I realized that the original source was from BC, Beauty <laughs> College. <laughs> It came from a beauty college, which was the original source, but it was very detailed research that found 78% of the people surveyed suggested that it was easier living within five minutes of the present than living within five seconds of the present. Well, eating a kumquat. <laughs> oh, you read the study too. <laughs> Thanks for listening. And I really hope you enjoyed the episode. Before you take off, I have a few more things to let you know about. One, you can find show notes for every episode of ACLR and links to all resources mentioned at applycuriositylab.com forward slash blog. It's there that we'll wait to read your answers to each week's Curiosity Bite. Two, in order to avoid missing Curiosity Bitten Conversations, subscribe to Applied Curiosity Lab Radio on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and all the other spots that podcasts hang out and wait to be discovered. Toss up a review, especially if you have nice things to say. Finally, for all things Applied Curiosity, including information on workshops and your free membership to the Tribe of the Curious, go to ApplyCuriosityLab.com. In the meantime, elevate curiosity.